Welcome to the Sustainable Events Podcast, where we talk with our special guests about the most up-to-date topics in sustainability and tech for events. This podcast is powered by Circular Unity, the company accelerating a future of sustainable smart events. Hello, everyone. Here is your host, Eduardo Lebri, bringing one more episode of Sustainable Events Podcast. Today, we have with us Robert Rubinstein uh, as our special guest. And this podcast is brought to you, powered by Circular Unity, the company accelerating a future for sustainable smart events. Hi, Robert. Thank you very much for accepting to be here with us today. It's My a pleasure, pleasure having you. Thank you, Eduardo. Thank you, Roberto. Thanks for taking the time and organizing this. Um, I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. All right, Robert, for everyone that is listening to us or uh, watching us uh, on video, I would like you to tell us a bit about your story, your trajectory, so people get to know more about you sure. and how you got interested in SEG. Uh, okay, so um, I used to be in uh, publishing. I started the first bicycle magazine in, uh, in, your, in the Netherlands, and that was a big financial and spiritual success. The other two magazines were only a spiritual success and a financial disaster. Uh, and the last one was the first European management magazine on sustainability, which we, I started in 1995. Uh, and when the investors pulled the plug on that while I was on holiday, I still wanted to create an economy based upon um, uh, well-being. Uh, so I was thinking, how am I going to do that? You know, I have no resources, I have no funds, lost all the money in the other magazines. Uh, and have no team, nothing. So I, I um, looked around and, and I studied and I saw that the, the only way you're going to get that is you have to get the business community on board, but they will only respond to pain. If they don't feel excruciating pain in the direction they're going, they're not going to change. So I thought, well, okay, how can I increase their pain threshold or their pain feeling? So I looked at what are their what are the pain buttons for getting them to embrace or to change. One was finance, personnel, and reputation. So I looked at which one could I influence with no resources, no money, no nothing. So I looked I looked at personnel and I tried teaching MBA students that if you want to change business, refuse to work for the companies that recruit you. But most of the MBA students, you know, weren't interested. I, we I started uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago, courses on sustainable finance at a ranked MBA school, but that was disappointing. Most of the students didn't use that power that they had. Uh, you have power when you're being recruited at a ranked MBA school. You can say, I don't want to work for you because you don't align with my values. That has much more power and influence than trying to change it from within. But most of the students didn't want to do that. Then I looked at reputation. I looked at, you know, well, that's complex, hard to influence even for NGOs. And then I looked at finance. I said, okay, who has all the money? I looked at the list of asset owners and managers and pension funds and the amount of money they had. And uh, the top 100 
asset owners slash asset managers had uh, about you know 20 to 25 percent of access direct or indirect of all the money so i figure hey i only have to convince a hundred guys you know they were mainly men who ran it it wasn't a phd study but it was very pragmatic if i could convince those hundred individuals with no resources uh, then I could move the needle by getting them to in, embrace sustainable investment. So that was the, the, the idea, the strategy, using very little to get a lot done. So that led to the creation of TBLI and, and doing our conference, which we've been doing now for 25 years, about 40 times, 40 international summits in Europe, uh, Asia, Latin America, North America. But the role was not so much organizing conferences the role was to change the financial system so it worked for all stakeholders by educating asset owners and managers because the financial sector as you know or don't know it's a very predictable group of alpha males who run up the hill and off the cliff at the same time it's not hard to get behavioral change remember we were doing something 25 years ago when the word esg didn't even exist the word impact didn't exist. There was no carbon disclosure project. There was no global reporting initiative. There was no PRI. There was nothing. It was a complete barren wasteland. So we had to build that, uh, that ecosystem. But that was not really that difficult. It was not that difficult to get that behavioral change. If you show the financial sector because of their predictability, self-interest, opportunity, and money flows, and how they can align that with their uh, their interest, they will embrace it. The, the challenge was not the convincing, the challenge was access. People who have a lot of money, you know, uh, like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, they don't have signs on the side of their house, hi, I have billions, come visit me. So access is the challenge. Convincing is not hard. Uh, but if you have access, it's easy to convince if you focus on certain things. But the, the work over the last 25 years has been farming. Unfortunately, the financial sector are hunters. So some of them are pirates also. But in general, they're incentivized for short-term behavior. So teaching farming to hunters takes time. Uh, and that's, you know, I thought it would go a bit fast, faster. Now there's a lot of traction, there's a lot of interest, um, but I don't think it's really making a difference the way that we want. We want the, the financial system or investment to be restorative in nature, not destructive as it is now. And most investment is destructive in nature rather than restorative. So that's kind of the background that led me to here and then we built up uh, i think now we have fifty thousand readers they get the tbli weekly and maybe twenty thousand investment allocators we stopped doing our face-to-face -face summits because of covid and because it was nearly impossible to make it financially viable the only way that conference organizers in my eyes are able to make it financially viable you have to lie you have to promise, you know, like Alberto is a, a big wealth manager or a big service provider. 
and you and or he's a private equity fund and you're going to tell alberto alberto i'm going to put you in front of 150 wealthy families all who have a hundred million dollars in assets you know so wow but you just have to pay me 30 to forty thousand dollars and i'll put you in front of them and alberto says oh it's worth it i have a lot of money i'll do this and alberto gets there and he says where are the people i don't see any i don't see 100 families with 100 million in assets so we never wanted to go down that road we were very mission driven so we stopped doing the uh, face-to-face summit because we did we never had a sales team i didn't really want to waste all my time trying to convince a sponsor sponsors also want lots of things they don't want to be criticized too much they don't want to they don't want you to be too critical of them so we stopped that and shifted to a full virtual system of weekly master classes and investor salons and using a virtual platform to still get the thing done, but we don't have the massive overheads of running international um, summits. And we don't have to chase, you know, sponsorship. And we can really invite who are really the thought leaders that are doing, not only talking, because it's, you know, the ones doing the most talk the least. And the ones doing the least talk the most. So people believe the press releases whether it's at COP27 or the World Economic Forum and that. So it sounds great. Wow, we're going to do this until you actually see what they're doing. You know, so uh, we um, I think we we take inspiration from George Carlin, who was a well-known comedian who spoke the radical truth. That's what we, we do. We try to speak the radical truth with the ultimate goal, changing the financial sector so that it works for all stakeholders uh, by educating those asset owners and managers. I find, I find if I may make a quick re- remark yeah. here, I find fascinating how many different ways, avenues exist to make an impact in the world. Some people go through activism, right? Eduardo and I and our colleagues go through the entrepreneurial uh, you know, way, path, um, and, and, and you, chose this other way to, as you said, to move the needle, to make an impact in the world. I I think it's fascinating. You 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 start with a drive, with a mission, and then you you find a different way. You can get a lot done with little. You don't, you know, it's, you're not inhibited from making a difference on, you know, unless you have millions of dollars and that, yeah, that can help, but it's more about the commitment and the passion. And unfortunately, many people who are comfortable, you know, working at a big bank or an institution, maybe in your previous jobs, I don't know, they're comfortable. And they are not pushing, they're not making trouble, because they're comfortable, and they, you know, they have a house, whatever. So often, people stay in positions, even though they, it's not what they want. If, if people all follow their heart and really did what they want to do things would move much much faster because you you can't there's already a lot of unemployment in europe imagine if you know a large number of wealth managers asset managers private just decided i'm not working for here because what i'm doing is making things worse i'm helping facilitate 
environmental and social destruction by the, the, the direction I'm giving to money. I totally feel this, uh, Robert. Uh, uh, I share a bit of uh, the case for myself. I believe us at Circular Unit. We are not wealth people. Uh, we don't come from money. We have been working for big corporations for many years. Uh, we are four co-founders. Each one of us were different for working for different uh, organizations. Okay. But we got together with a goal in common that was to create a platform to help companies, mostly in the event sector, uh, was where we started, uh, to assess how sustainable they are. Mm. And we focused exclusively on the carbon accounting, social aspects, and environmental. Okay. Uh, we didn't uh, put uh, too much focus on the governance side of things uh, when you speak about the ESG. Mm -hmm. But we did a tool, uh, all bootstrap it uh, for the first year we got together while we were still doing our regular jobs at night, uh, sure. Sundays, Saturdays, we were working on Impact All until we had uh, MVP and managed to, to gather connections enough to get invest, uh, intention letters from investors and gather our first uh, investment round to then focus 100% uh, on circular unity. Okay. But if it was not uh, the, the whole year believing that uh, we could do something better, even if we were not getting paid to do this every day, and get out of the FANG lifestyle, the corporate lifestyle, working for companies that we don't believe in the, mm -hmm. in the vision, in the, in the main goal of it. Um, there is no way you can be happy in the long term. No. It's not sustainable. And when you, when, at least for me, when I made the shift, first was uh, in the mindset, then in the action, was the best thing that happened in my life. Uh, Good. And I believe everyone could do the same if they, they really want and they know what they like to do. It, uh, it's available to everyone if they want to. The thing is, is that many want to be what I call partly pregnant. <laughs> you know, they want to do, let's, well, I want to keep this job because this brings in money for my family my kids are like you say, they're comfortable yeah. they're doing this for many years uh, yeah and but they they'll never if they don't make that decision they will never have a reputation of being uh, a sustainable expert or truly committed which means they will always keep recycling something that's not getting anywhere and that's a, a lot, it, I think it's changing more rapidly now because there's such a huge shortage of, of, uh, of personnel that people can easily find another job. And, and many of the people, because we focus mainly on the, the, the financial sector, many uh, are, have made enough money and they want to have a bit more purpose. Um, what I would love for them to do is to be more outspoken, you know, and say, you know, to their bank, 
I'm sorry, but your children are ugly and what you're doing is ugly. It's not the direction that we need to go if we want to attract the best and the brightest. But uh, many are, are reluctant to do that. Many are reluctant to, you know, rock the boat uh, until it's so terrible, the boat ride, that they decide, I'm out of here. You know, I've done, I'm going to start a sustainable events business or whatever that, that is. And that, oh, that moment always comes. Sometimes it comes quicker with others and, uh, you know, others. But it's, uh, if you're doing something that doesn't cost you any energy, then you're in the right space. You're, uh, you're in the right. And if it actually gives you energy, then you're, you found your perfect uh, job. And that's always the thing, you know, I ask people when they want to change careers and I say, are you, does your job give you energy or, you know, consume all of your energy? Uh, because it should be fun, the work that you're doing. Um, there's no reason why it can't be. Uh, and, uh, but that's a realization that many large companies are starting to see that keeping and attracting the best and the brightest, uh, particularly if they're coming out of a ranked MBA school or a university, the students are no longer only, uh, you know, with some exceptions, you're not going to get them excited by offering them a red BMW you know, because they, they're looking for something more. Yeah, I, that's a defining characteristic uh, feature trait of the, of the new generations. It really, something has changed, something yeah. has clicked and, and young people nowadays, they really want to, to make an impact. Yeah. They want to, you know, their, their lives to, to mean something, their work to mean something and companies need and will uh, have to adapt. To this new reality and it's very interesting the demographics yeah. and the hiring and the HR it, and the population it, it's really, really interesting. I, I was I, when i was teaching those mba students at the rotterdam school of management i was very disappointed that very few of them followed their heart at that time maybe it was early except with a, a few exceptions uh most of them went to you know mckinsey at kearney all those pwc and they all told me, oh, we don't really like the work. And, but they didn't, you know, try the, the strategy. I told them, if you want to change a company that you think might go in the, in the direction you want to go, just refuse to work for them. Because if you come from a ranked MBA school or a, a pro, you know, prestigious university or you have all the right CV, you have leverage because they want you. And if a few tell the company that I'm saying, well, what is, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? I'm not talking about financial. What do you stand for? What does the company stand for? What is your big purpose? If that happens a few times, that uh, recruiter from the co company will go back to the C-suite executives and say, hey, the people we want are no longer excited about just cash. And that's, that has much more power in changing the company because if you can't attract the best and the brightest and you have a big company, you're going to have a problem. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you're seeing now also in the sustainable consulting space where all the big consultants are desperately trying to find 
teams. So they're stealing them from one company to the next. You see that the banks, they're stealing teams because they just, there's not enough, you know, expert. Everybody is an expert on blockchain. So it's either not hard or everybody's lying. One of the two, because you can't have so many experts in such a short time. And it's the same with sustainability. Everybody's an expert on ESG and sustainability. So it's either not true or not hard. This is something that that uh, pickles my my mind a bit. <laughs> uh, we spent, uh, personally me, I spent some time researching about ESG, and I was astonished uh, by the way how the market and the frameworks are so diverse mm. from one to each other, and how many that there are out yeah. there, mm-hmm. and uh, that. Uh, that is quite confusing, and I know that is one of the, the main goals of uh, the, the prize from TBLI. Yeah, that is to to assess and uh, see what is the is the best. Uh, what are the best frameworks to be followed? Yeah, and there are too many out there uh, right <laughs> now. Do yeah. we really need the new ones? I, I don't think so. No, maybe we need uh, a refinement and. Uh, there, I mean, Maybe there are some certain combination out there, but please share some, some yeah, thoughts. I mean, about this if you test. just look at when we started ESG or what it was called then sustainable investment or social responsible investing, which later became ESG, environmental social governance, because the big pension funds felt more comfortable with that title than social responsible investing. So it became ESG. And we thought, wow, that's a great idea. Using money to restore the social environmental balance. Great idea. And it was not easy. You know, people were, everybody thought it was so easy for us in Europe when we started. It wasn't. People were very much against it. They didn't like it. And then as we, you know, went along, it's getting more and more interest and built that ecosystem and more and more. And then the market really started to take off because they were telling Alberto, Alberto, just invest in this ETF and you're fixing climate, you know, or just invest in this index fund and sustainability and society will be balanced. But if you look at the the announcement, like Bloomberg wrote that there's going to be 50 to 53 trillion thousand billion dollars going to ESG. You know, if that was true, we would not have to have COP 27 or 28 or 29 or 30. We would not do it, you know, but if you look at the problem, climate change, poverty, food security, water, uh, inequality, so massive problems. So 53 trillion or 50 trillion or 40 trillion is either not going into those uh, solutions or it's a definitional issue where it's, it's a kind of like uh, being, you know, telling everybody I have a membership uh, card to a fitness club and showing that everybody I've got this membership card to the fitness club, but I never go, you know, I never go on the machines. And that's really what a lot of the ESG measurement is, is that it's something you've got to be part of the club. You got to be part of that club, but they're not doing the work. So, and also one of the, the challenges we always had when I did the, uh, the TBLI conference, every one of the major ESG rating companies or research, they, 
always refuse to be on a panel together with their competitor. They never wanted comparability to be able to compare. So they said, no, don't put me on that. I don't want that. I don't know. So I said, I'm done. You know, I'm sick and tired of this. ESG is not working. It's a death march in the wrong direction, but we're going slower. So that's the progress. Uh, but we're still going in the wrong direction. We're not restoring the environment. We're not restoring society. So let's see if we can come up yeah, with a better... I was quite, quite surprised when I saw many uh, fossil fuel companies. Oh, yeah really high ESG rates. Many, 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 many. I mean, because ESG, the way it's done now, it's kind of like Diet Coke. It's not really Coke. Classic, it's kind of like, it's about risk. Light assessment. It's, it's more not, about risk. It's not about outcome. Impact and what you want, you want outcome. And what the, the ESG industry, they're talking about risk. Um, so we decided let's make the ultimate people's choice award because I didn't believe, I believe in the wisdom of the crowd, but I don't believe in the wisdom of the experts. Experts, you can bribe, you can lobby, you can influence. But if you get thousands of people voting on the presentations of the various measurement system, it's kind of hard to influence those thousand unless you hack it in there and you know you you go after it. It's much more difficult. So we created a jury, an advisory group that came up with a list of questions. What do we want to know? I invited all of the major ESG and rating companies because we knew them all. And we have 40 now that have are, are giving us their presentations. We'll present that November 30th with a panel discussion of why we're doing the uh, Better World Prize. And then right after November 30th, it'll go right onto a voting platform and everyone will be able to see all of the presentations in kind of an open source library to be able to compare all of the different systems. And you can, and you'll be able to vote. You are the jury, the individuals from MBA uh, alumni, service providers, corporates, pension funds, all of them were inviting to vote. But what's fascinating, we had, I don't know, we had probably about 90 who applied and 40 were approved and then quite a few uh, withdrew. We have 100% success rate with not getting one single major ESG rating company or measurement to be willing to present. Why do you believe uh, it happened like this? Are they afraid to, to be compared to others? Well, they probably realize, as I said, they never wanted comparability. So they don't want people to compare someone who might be better with them. Secondly, they don't really, I don't think they have really a good solution that's providing outcome. Uh, and uh, so they're, they're all, you know, afraid because imagine if, you know, in Curitiba, some obscure little tiny company with three guys or three women come up with an ESG measurement system that wins the prize, okay? Thousands of people vote, they win the prize. How would you feel if you were MSCI, ISS, Sustainalytics, 
um, They're quite uh, huge. CVP, all of these with millions, millions in in research, and this little company beats you. So there's a reputational risk which they don't want to take, but it, but not voting or not presenting is also a. I believe it's what should happen when if they use outdated methods and yeah, don't want exactly. to be transparent. So At we, some point, their clients will see in the end who are the tools that are transparent, yeah. and they will end up getting the knowledge Echo. of what is working best out there. Yeah. So the the reputation risk, yeah. lack of comparability, lack of transparency. And it's not that we didn't try. I mean, we've reached out to many people. I had phone conversations on and, and chasing them and chasing them and chasing them. And then they'll, you know, come to me like this week. Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any time to do it. You know, I've been telling you from like June last, you know, this year about this. So we found a solution to that. So we have a voting platform where there will be a presentation of the companies presenting a video. Underneath that, there will be the logo of the company. So you technical problems. It seems that Robert lost the connection. Let's wait for his return. Oh, there he is. Coming back. Coming back. Yeah, so that, back. We, that video presentation of the company, five minute pitch based on our questions. Then there will be the logo, and then there will be a choice of one to ten. You choose, you know, one is the least, ten is the best, and there'll be, you know, forty some odd companies, and that's open source. So anybody who's doing research, if you're in the financial sector, you're a high net worth, or you're a student, you want to know who to work for, it's going to be a great library. And those companies that declined to present, we will put them up there, but there'll be a blank screen. And that will also be their presentation. Awesome. I love this. I love that, uh, <laughs> that you guys started uh, this, this initiative. Uh, I think it's very much needed uh, for ESG. It's too much out there. Uh, it's really confusing for, yeah. for big companies, for medium and small, I think for everyone. Yeah, the fragmentation, the fragmentation is really dangerous. Even for sustainability professionals, I, it seems it he's out again. It's out. Coming back. Back. Three to one. Apologies for the technical issues. Nope, not yet. So yes, I hope you're still listening to Sustainable Events Podcast powered by Cicla Unit. At the moment, we are facing a small issue with Robert connection. Let's give him. I don't know why it bounced back though, because Wi-Fi is pretty stable here. So, and it was another important element of that library or that better, you know, People's Choice Award. It will also influence employee employees or potential employees, because you can check out what these companies do who are providing, when they come to recruit you, hey, I, you know, I want you to work here, we're so incredible. And they say, well, why didn't you present at the Better World Prize? Why did the others present? You want me to work for you, but you don't only want to be transparent as to what you guys do. Exactly. You didn't make the effort. And, this, and then some will say, oh, they didn't give us enough time. I had one guy who contacted me on Friday like a week ago, he says, 
you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. Would, would it be, would it be too late? I said, well, if you can get it to me by Sunday, I could still do it. He got it to me on Sunday. So why is it that this company, which is actually reasonable, just, got it in two it days and everybody else needs months. you want and to be transparent, you just are. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much, Robert, for, for the insight. It's very uh, uh, welcome, in my opinion, in the, that you guys are doing this, uh, say, once more. But Thank if you. you guys had to, to say uh, as an insight to who is listening, I have a small company and I want to know what is my ESG rating. Uh, okay. What is what is out there like because i see so many different things where should i start <laughs> um well first of all you um i don't know if you're familiar with the global reporting initiative gri, GRI. yes so i i spoke at their annual summit once and i said i'm not a fan of gri because nobody uses it to run their company everybody who who writes reports according to the gri use it to inform stakeholders but if it's really important it should be on your dashboard on how you're driving the car but nobody does that so you have to decide for yourself why are you doing this are you doing this to restore the environmental social balance is that your mission or are you a public company and you feel you need to inform stakeholders which can often lead to greenwashing, or are you a startup that really want to measure what is your societal and environmental impact? I think people have to decide what their big purpose is. If their big purpose is what I would like, that you're restorative in nature, you're working to restore the Amazon or restore uh, nature or, restore urban uh, communities that's the big purpose of there then i would look at what lorraine smith uh, does she's one of the presenters because she is very very focused totally she's been doing re sustainable reporting for 25 years and she was not happy with what came out of that she was very unhappy she felt it wasn't very good so she came up with a completely revolutionary idea. Everyone was always speaking, is this activity material, material to your business? Meaning that is it directly influenced by the, you know, your output or your input, your purchasing, etc." So she said, he, she came up with a different word called materiality, <laughs> which yeah. was, I thought, oh, that's very clever. And she's very obsessed, focused on restorative. Is it working for, um, for the benefit of mankind, what you're doing? So without, you have to know for yourself, what are you, what's the purpose of your company? Obviously, okay, to make a living, you know, for your, your, you and your family, uh, and maybe you wanna be the next Elon Musk, I don't care. But what is, if your purpose is just informing stakeholders you can choose any of the the esg measurement system many of them are equally bad 
if your purpose is restorative in nature, then you have to go deeper. And there are several of the companies that are presenting at the Better World Prize November 30th, or just look at the library afterwards, because it'll be open for anybody to look at. If you want to know how it works, just go to TBLI, uh, tblibwp.org. So we'll be sharing the link on the comments. If you... Yeah, sure. Uh, where is the comment? You don't need to worry, Robert. I will put it there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. So, and then you can access everything and vote. We want everybody's input. And because I totally believe in the wisdom of the crowd. And I, and I believe that most people want to be restorative in nature, uh, particularly when they realize you can be restorative and have a financial added value. You know, if the, the, the idea is that, oh, impact investing is money losing. It's a charity. It's not serious. There are no great companies, blah, blah, blah. blah. I've heard this you know, for 25 years. And, but if you look at the financial sector, they've also been lying saying, we always beat the benchmark. We always, you know, they, they have a target to reach. We, every, every fund manager always beat benchmark. It's a, that's an absolute lie. That's not true. Or they say hedge funds always make 30% returns. Also not true, totally not true. And venture capital and private equity funds make over 30% returns big a whopper a whopper of a lie so we have to be as critical of those things if you're thinking that impact doesn't cannot make money that's not true you can do well um, and you can be restorative in nature if you want to if you don't that's fine that's it's your money it's your decision we're not taking a judgment call on that if you don't want to do it that's fine. My only issue is I want people to stop talking about doing it when they're not going to do it. You don't want to do it? Fine. But stop talking about it because so many want to get into that club, that fitness club, but they don't want to get on the exercise machine and do the work. Um, Alberto wrote an interesting do. article recently about exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's precisely. You, know, you don't want to do it. That's okay. I'm. I don't care. You know, because I. I remember when we started, in 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 Asia, they all think it was so easy when we started. Everybody gave me a big hug. Oh, fantastic that you're doing this. And I remember I was speaking. I was asked to speak to the Dutch insurance industry about climate risk. So they asked me to come in. And I'm from Brooklyn, so I'm very straightforward. I said, Netherlands is below sea level. Sea levels are going to rise. I would be concerned about that. Do you know what the insurance industry, this was 20 years ago, you know what they said to me? They said, that's not a problem for us if sea level rises. We don't cover saltwater damage. So you can get, you can find... <laughs> what an incredibly stupid that that's an engaged industry amazing yeah. and and i said to him you know that's true but you give mortgages you know so if you have two hundred thousand homes underwater people also need to work to pay their mortgages yeah. yeah and then you have a big financial loss 
And then that person said, ah. So right. the, the key, what, we what I found is, if you don't speak the language of the person you're speaking to in the language that they understand, you won't get through. You could push the moral imperative, but they have a target to reach. So it's like shouting loudly in Portuguese to someone who speaks Polish. You know, they're not going to really understand what you, you can shout louder, but they still, still won't get, get it. it. And that's the mistake is you must communicate in the language of the person you're speaking to. The financial people, they're very predictable alpha males. This touches on the point of how to financially uh, sell or make the case for sustainability. Well, it's very, it's very easy because basically if you really push sustainability and you look at it financially, what will that mean? That means you will use less electricity. That means you will use less water. You will waste less water. You will have less waste. You will also probably um, reuse a lot of the material. You'll also probably have a great HRM policy, which means you will spend much less money in trying to attract the best and the brightest and keeping them. So all of those elements, less waste, less pollution, less energy use, but at the same turnover level, translate into more profitability. You won't have as many fines from the government for not you know, taking care of pollution. You won't have so many fines because you treat your employees well and they come motivated to work and they don't get ill as much. So all of those elements translate into more profitability. It's just a smarter way of doing business, but people think it's about a charity. The charity now is that the financial sector can make a complete fuck up of the entire system, causing it nearly to collapse during the financial crisis, and then everybody bails them out. So it's like, I came to your house, Eduardo, I burnt it down. And then I came back to you a week later, Eduardo, don't worry, I'm going to lend you money to rebuild. And you say, oh, wow, that's nice. So everybody is paying to rebuild the, the mess that the banking sector created. They were not penalized. And that's, you know, that's basically the story. We're doing the charity for the wealthy and the financial sector when they screw up. So they, they basically socialize the losses and securitize the profits for themselves. So I want people to look at the whole picture. Impact investing sustainability can be profitable. However, if you look at some of the most sustainable companies in the world that you probably never heard of, like digital equipment, which doesn't exist anymore, they were a champion. Swiss Air, which doesn't exist anymore, it, it was, went bankrupt had one of the best sustainable policy. The Body Shop, also fantastic reporting, but they didn't do very well and they were bought out by um, one of the large cosmetic companies. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to be successful financially. However, not doing it is a guarantee that you're going to have real problems in attracting personnel, in attracting financing, and carbon will be a cost. So if you're in the carbon intensive industry, you're going to pay for that. 
um, and you're licensed to operate. So it's just a smarter way of, of doing business on so many levels that, that people even have conversations about why in 2022, it's pretty much beyond me. <laughs> you know, I thought we should, we should only be having conversation now about how and not about why. Definitely. Uh, for the why is, is already quite late. Actually, is needed. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't think we're going to really, I think we're going to just have to shift to adaption because of climate uh, change. Um, and many people profited immensely by putting out lies about the risk of climate, like the oil and gas sector for the last 40 years. You know, if products reflected their true cost, if we put into the price of products, their societal and environmental impact, things would fall into place. I mean, if you, you're in Poland, I don't know what the VAT is on a bicycle, but in the Netherlands, a VAT on the bicycle is 21%. 21% VAT. Between 25%. Okay. I don't know, maybe it's 6% or 10% in Poland. But if you buy an airline ticket, no VAT, zero worldwide, no sales tax on airlines, on airline travel. Also, no tax on kerosene. My latest peak on the airlines is about. Uh... When you go and buy a ticket uh, on the website, some some airlines offer ah pay extra two dollars one dollar for offsetting your flight, and yeah, sometimes yeah. they don't. Yeah, this number is, don't is... change. Doesn't matter if you're flying, yeah. I don't know, half an hour flight or a I, long haul one. Uh, I would prefer that they charge VAT on the airline travel. I mean, it's being heavily subsidized and the, most of the airlines lose money anyway, historically. So I just want things, let's have a level playing ground that product reflected true cost and then things will fall into place. And things that are ca carbon intensive will be more expensive. Things that are socially and environmentally restorative. I love what France just did. They yeah. cut it all the in-home uh, flights In internal flights um, yeah i mean yeah. things that you know the, what we did learn from the financial crisis and covid every year we heard from the the, the government is that we have no money to do this we have no money all of a sudden there's lots of money during covid during the financial crisis so governments can move quickly when they want to definitely robert has been an amazing conversation thank you so much for for being My here pleasure. with us just to close uh, i always share some tips about sustainable sustainable development goals to, today i'll tell a bit about uh, the sg number four okay uh, quality education since you mentioned it in the beginning. So some things that your company, your organization events can be doing to support this SDG can include supporting local schools or libraries by collecting supplies, books, or other needed resources, such as educational training regard SDGs could be one, educating your participants about respons responsible consumption you can also create programs, for example, internships, work study programs, trainships, etc., mm -hmm. to provide uh, 
with continuous opportunities to improve their their job or their skills for their current or future employment. These are some few tips how you can implement uh, SDG four. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for putting in all of the effort and the organization to make this happen and giving me the chance to uh, shout my barbaric yawp. It was amazing. <laughs> as well, it was truly day. a delight. It was really interesting listening to you. Really, really interesting. So thank you for coming. My pleasure. Uh, if I can ever help you, let me know. I hope to have you back and one day. And tell everybody okay. to vote during the Better World Prize. I, I already registered it, so I will leave also uh, the link on the comments. And I encourage great. everyone from that is watching us also to take a look and give your Thank vote you. to the best ESCG. And let me know when this is available so I can also push it out through our network. Awesome. I will, I will, don't worry. Okay, Alberto, Eduardo, thank you, stay thank well. Thank you, everyone. You too, thank you very much. Bye, bye, bye. And this is Sustainable Events Podcast. Thank you, bye. Welcome to the Sustainable Events Podcast, where we talk with our special guests about the most up-to-date topics in sustainability and tech for events. This podcast is powered by Circular Unity, the company accelerating a future of sustainable smart events.